0: The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as my father has sent me so i send you when he said this he breathed on them and said to them receive the holy spirit if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven them if you retain the sins of any they are retained but thomas who was called the twin one of the 12 was not with them when jesus came so the others the other disciples told him we have seen the lord Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and I apologize for missing the start of our service with teaching our new members class, and I just want to welcome you all this morning and let you know how glad I am to be here. And with that, I'll say this, alleluia, Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, alleluia. Welcome to this, the second Sunday of Easter, a a Sunday known in my professional circles as Associate Pastor Sunday. (laughs) All jokes aside, we are so glad that Pastor Rhodes is able to take some hard-earned and well-deserved vacation and rest this week. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are worthy of praise. You have defeated the powers of sin and evil and death and risen victorious. Fill us now with your spirit. Make us messengers of your peace. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. In January of 1958, a resident of Duxbury, Massachusetts, Olga Owens Huckins, submitted a letter to the editor of the Boston Herald. The letter documented a tragedy occurring on her land. You see, the songbirds that she she had so cherished Had fallen silent. Their corpses were littered on the ground, and she had given up searching for them because each new discovery broke her heart just a little more. In her letter, she posed a strong and impassioned conjecture that the silence of these birds was directly connected to the government's program of spraying the pesticide DDT across her land. Though this method was wildly effective and did promote a surplus of agriculture, the consequences were well, they were doubtful, to say the least. Huckins mailed a copy of the letter to an old friend, conservationist and author Rachel Carson. And Carson used that letter and what she found there as evidence as the linchpin of her book, which came out in 1962 called Silent Spring. It's one of the most important pieces of scientific literature ever written. It quickly became popular and it quickly became controversial. You see, the evidence that it presented was nigh on irrefutable, but as you might imagine, chemical companies and other business corporations fought it tooth and nail. It, it challenged their easy profits. Silent Spring's influence, however, couldn't be stopped. It quickly became a rallying point for the new environmental movement of the 1960s, and this culminated in both the establishment of the Environmental Protection Agency and in the celebration of the first Earth Day, both of which happened in 1970. Now, as you might have guessed, we're opening with this story because we have just remembered and celebrated the 52nd Earth Day this past Friday. It's April 22nd every year, and the movement and the day itself, unfortunately, remain a bit controversial, right? Like any movement, it's been politicized on all different sort of sides, and what shouldn't be controversial, however, is that for us as followers of Christ is one of the very first commandments that we were given by God. In Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, God places the first humans in the garden and tells them to have dominion over the earth, and in Genesis 2, tells them to till the earth and to keep it. As followers of Christ, as children of God, we are called to safeguard and to protect our planet. God has entrusted us with this special task, and it's something that only we can do. And so, From this perspective it's it's no wonder at all that we still struggle with this after all that very first sin in the garden was agrarian in nature wasn't it humans couldn't keep their hands off the one fruit that was forbidden to them so this all brings us in a very roundabout way to our gospel text for today on the second sunday of easter we are confronted every single year with the story of doubting thomas but that's just one side of this story. It's a little bit more complicated than that. The other side that sometimes we miss with Thomas' doubts is that this is the Gospel of John's Pentecost story. Now, it doesn't look like we hear in the Acts of the Apostles. There's no rush of the Holy Spirit or tongues of flame or understanding of different languages. John's Pentecost is much more intimate and a lot more strange. The resurrected Jesus, on the first evening of Easter, mystically appears, somehow bypassing a locked door, and then he shares the first passing of the peace and does something a bit strange. He breathes on the disciples, telling them to receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus, where were you uh, with these COVID guidelines? And Thomas, well, the Apostle Thomas, he, he misses it for some reason, he is the only disciple not locked in that room, as Scripture tells us. They were locked away afraid. Maybe he's processing his grief in a different way. Maybe he's one of those people who needed to be out and about and doing things, or maybe he wasn't afraid at all. It could be that Thomas was already out and about resuming his ministry for whatever reason, and we'll never know, he misses that moment. And When he returns, he can't believe the account of his fellow disciples. After all, it's a story that seems a bit beyond belief. I imagine that I would have my own hesitations and wonderings about that story as well. Now, Thomas makes two other appearances in John's Gospels, and both of these times paint a picture which complicates this whole doubting Thomas narrative. In John chapter 11, Thomas first shows up and has his First speaking role, and it's in response to Jesus' dear friend, Lazarus, who has passed away. Jesus is explaining that Lazarus has died, and we have to go to Lazarus now, and Thomas pipes up and says, let us also go, that we may die with him. Enthusiastic, gung-ho response. Not many people advocate rushing to die, Later in chapter 14, Jesus is telling his disciples that he is going away, but that, he'll, that the disciples will know the place to which he goes. And Thomas raises the question that must have been on everyone's mind, Lord, how will we know the way? And Jesus takes this opportunity to give us one of his most famous sayings, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Both of these earlier Thomas signings paint a picture of a person not necessarily marked, I think, by doubt, but instead by commitment, by drive, by someone who wanted clarity so they could carry out that commitment. So then how did Thomas go from enthusiastic and now comes to be doubtful? I think it's likely... Connected to this missing of the moment. Fear of missing out is not a contemporary phenomenon. It's been going on for at least 2,000 years. And not only did Thomas miss the moment, he missed the moment as one not caught up, locked away in that room, paralyzed by fear. It's no wonder that Thomas, the only one on the move, doesn't trust the words of these other more f- fearful disciples. He He wants to see it for himself, and it's kind of hard to blame him. But thanks be to God that right in the middle of those doubts, that Jesus meets Thomas. On that second Sunday of Easter, Jesus shows up mystically again in that room, and Jesus doesn't reject Thomas, or Jesus doesn't shame Thomas. Instead, he wishes those disciples peace, and then he gives Thomas exactly what he needs, and offer see touch don't doubt but believe and Thomas true to the character we have seen answers with a gung-ho response he is the first of the Apostles to confess post-resurrection Christ as my Lord and my God so here's the thing about doubt it's not necessarily always bad see, it's natural for us humans to wonder and to have questions. And out of these doubts, if they are handled with care and with compassion and with patience, something wonderful can bloom, a greater clarity, a stronger commitment. You see, in many cases, we doubt those things that we care the most about, things we want to make sure that we know truthfully, things that we want to honor. It's no mistake that Thomas... After the stories of the New Testament, uh, the myth has it that he went the furthest of any of the disciples, dying a martyr's death in southern India, preaching the gospel. True to character. What gets lost in translation of the original New Testament language into English is that this question in our text isn't just necessarily about mental doubt, it's more about trust than anything else. A, A more faithful translation would be that Thomas had a failure to trust. It was more than a simple failure to believe. His heart and his spirit were wrapped up in it as well. Thomas was in his feelings. And I think his trust issues were more about his fellow disciples than we might read on first glance. So this brings me back Back to the Pentecost part of this story about Jesus' bizarre moment of breathing on the disciples. You see, this is a moment of re-creation. Jesus is explicitly looking back to Genesis chapter two, to that story when God scooped up the earth and first breathed life into it, calling forth the first human lives. Here and now, post-Easter, After the resurrection, Jesus is coming to those disciples in their fears, in their doubts, in that moment which must have felt dead and breathing new life once more into them. Jesus is recreating them and empowering them for the ministry of peace. And the word peace at its root in the original language comes from a verb that meant to tie together to bring back together into wholeness and health that which is divided and diseased. Sisters and brothers, the peace that we share in Christ is, is more than a balm for our anxiety. and It's more than an answer for our doubts. It's, it's a ministry which we are entrusted to carry on. You see, in the resurrection, we are turned inside out. Jesus meets us, whether we are in our fears like those disciples in the room, or we are in our doubts in our failure to trust like Thomas, and Jesus breathes new life into us, and we are sent out in peace for peace. We are commissioned by Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry on that work of peace to, to love this world back into God's health and into God's wholeness. Earth Day isn't an explicitly religious holiday, but it does serve as a reminder to us each year to celebrate this good creation that God has blessed us with and that God entrusts to us. This is a task that only we humans can fulfill. And I began with this story about Olga Huckins and Rachel Carson because It's important to remember that the origins of this whole Earth Day environmental movement, well they actually began with doubt. Doubt that the chemicals and other methods that were being used at the time were actually good for the earth and for its creatures. This was a doubt that was connected to a deep care and compassion. It was tied to a desire for peace for the earth. Thomas doubts, though maybe not as productive as those doubts were, certainly also connected to something that he cared deeply about. And God met him right where he was and used them to make way for one of Jesus' most powerful Easter moments, a moment of spirit recreation. Siblings, God is not afraid of our doubts. God is not afraid of our fears. God is not afraid of those moments of crisis which we all face. If we look, God meets us there in our times of need when we encounter those who doubt. Sometimes the answer is as easy as showing them who God is, telling them what God has done, what God is doing in your life. We should never tire in giving one another more and more reasons to build up our trust and the goodness and faithfulness of God. Faith like that, well, it wins over doubt every time. And so today we're going to close our sermon in a different way than we usually do. We're going to bring back and practice one small ancient Christian worship practice, which it finds its roots in Jesus' actions in our gospel message today. It's designed to specifically help us grow in our trust of one another and in our trust in God. It's the passing of the peace. Something which I don't believe we have practiced in a, in a normal way since before COVID. Now, to remind you, it's as simple as exchanging a greeting with your neighbor and wishing them the peace of Christ be with you and responding and also with you. And this can be done with a handshake or a hug or just with words and eye contact if you'd still wish to remain socially distanced. So as we turn now to sharing that peace with one another, I want you to think this week about our planet, about this creation that God has given to us, about how good it is, and about how we can work to bring it peace. So at this time, I invite you to all rise or stand as you are able. And may the peace of Christ be with you all. I invite you to share signs of peace.